This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is Matt Splained. You never know uh, what you're going to hear when Matt Armitage starts hunting for weird science. It it could be self-replicating robots, insects that create biofuels, or planets made of diamonds. On the last edition, he skipped the AI, which means he must have a backlog. Uh, Matt, you, you know, you are sounding a little bit miserable today. What's going on? Hey, Rich. Um, I don't know if I'm miserable or confused, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there, there's a bit of a backlog on the AI stuff. But before we get there, um, and this is the reason for my sad and confused state, and um, that's the rather strange news this week that uh, Elon Musk has taken uh, mm. a more than 9% share in the social media giant Twitter and has been invited to join its board. You know Uh, what? I I thought you'd like this piece of news. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's now the company's largest single investor, um, although he uh, seems to have pledged not to try and own more than uh, 14.9% of the company or Mm -hmm. attempt to take it over. But whatever he does or doesn't do, he now has incredible influence over the company's direction. And... You know, I guess I'm miserable because it's, you know, yet another billionaire buying a broadcast platform and kind of confused as well because, you know, in a lot of ways, Musk is Twitter's largest remaining troll since uh, Donald Trump was removed from the service. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now we have Musk as the troll king of Twitter, which, you know, it does sound like a a character from a Terry Pratchett story, um, but (laughs) somehow it's just not as funny. Um. We should probably flesh out some of the details then of this story, yeah? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's been talked about on other shows across BFM this week, but Mm. uh, Musk was uncharacteristically quiet about his attempts to amass a stake in the company. In Mm -hmm. a regulatory filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission, I think on Monday or Tuesday, it became apparent that Musk had amassed a 9.2% stake in Twitter. That's larger than the previous uh, largest investor, which was the 8.8% owned by the mutual fund Vanguard. Yep. And it's more than three times the stake that is owned by uh, Twitter's founder, Jack Dorsey, who incidentally will be stepping down from the company's board at the end of this year after stepping down as CEO at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, Musk's appointment to the board is for a term that expires in 2024. And it's subsequently come out that he reached out to Twitter's CEO, Parag Agrawal, during the process of buying those shares. And that's what led to the invitation for him to join the board. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Musk has agreed not to try to buy out the company and has placed that ceiling on the percentage of shares that he pledges he will not exceed. Mm. Uh, You mentioned that he was um, uncharacteristically quiet about his actions. Yeah, because, you know, this is the guy who tweets his idea for an underground traffic system because he's stuck in traffic. Uh, There are truly, you know, two people to whom the phrase, I tweet, therefore I am, belong. And one of those has already been kicked off the platform. And the other is, of course, Musk. Uh, Mm. He's 
gotten himself into so much hot water over his tweets, you know, comments about Tesla that led to sanctions from the SEC, referring mm-hmm. to one of the uh, rescuers in the Thai cave incident a few years ago as that pedo guy. Uh, more recently, he seemed to compare Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to Hitler. You know, he seems to delight in picking fights and causing outrage and offense. Yet he was very quiet about his plans to build up this stake in the company. I mean, partly that's understandable. If he telegraphed it, it would have sent prices rising or perhaps stirred other investors to increase or move to protect their own positions in the company. Right. But he seems to have gone to the other extreme. He actually polled his followers at the end of March uh, and asked them if they thought that Twitter rigorously adheres to the principles of free speech. Now, the response to that poll was around 70% of them stated that they didn't. Um, You know, that's kind of moot. Twitter's a private company. It's not obligated to. But Mm -hmm. in the process of doing that, he seemed to hint at starting his own social media company, which is certainly at odds with him building this stake in Twitter, which uh, reports I've seen suggest he began much earlier at the start of March. Now, um, what are you imagining a a must-controlled Twitter might look like? (sighs) I mean, I could say awful, but I mean, I'll give a better answer than that. (laughs) I think in some ways he would continue to go in the direction that Twitter's already planning. I mean, he's tweeted about his desire to allow people to control or use their own algorithms for the platform so that Mm -hmm. they see exactly what content they want and they can determine when it appears. Now, Twitter is already working on ways to retool the platform in that direction and make it less about a centralized company and more focused on the users themselves. Uh, The company is working on, you know, redesigning the whole platform so that they can allow third-party APIs to control the way content is viewed and potentially even to allow individuals to design and plug their own algorithms into Twitter's API. So it seems that the uh, common purpose in Musk and Twitter's vision is one of the reasons that Agrawal asked him to join the board to help to shape that transformation. Has he had any uh, service requests yet? Well, that's one of the funnier aspects of the story, you know, that he's somehow turned into Twitter's uh, Uber tech support guy. He's had uh, thousands of requests for an edit button. Um, He's that computer guy that everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. You know, except he's in the penthouse, not in the basement. Um, But, you know, uh, like I said, thousands of requests for the edit button. That's something that genuinely all Twitter users want. Um, Mm. You know, the number of times I've messed DMs up especially and want to re-edit them. Um, That sparked Twitter to announce on Wednesday that they've actually already been working on an edit feature for quite some time. And no, it isn't because of uh, everyone asking Elon that they're going to introduce it. Um, So that's good news. Um, What happens in terms of the free speech? I'm not so sure. You know, both Jack Dorsey and Parag Agrawal are also committed to making speech as free as possible on the platform. Mm -hmm. That's their stated position. So, you know, it's a hard call. One person's freedom of speech is another person's hate speech. And there are legal requirements around all kinds of forms of speech, which change from country to country. Mm -hmm. And that's before we even get to the whole issue of disinformation, which, you know, we've 
seen explode over the last five years. Yeah. You know, free speech is never as simple as it appears. You say, oh, I want free speech. But how that actually looks, it's much more complicated than it appears. Mm -hmm. And it's never as free as we think it is. You know, I often wonder, do, do you think he has time to help run Twitter? Well, that's possibly the bigger point. You know, um, I think we have to wait to see what the investors that back his main gig, Tesla, have to say. The mm. company has performed exceptionally well over the pandemic, but it's facing a number of problems at the moment. Um, the supply chain crunch, which is limiting the availability of many car parts and chips, not just to Tesla, but to all car makers. Plus, the Tesla factory in Shanghai is experiencing shutdowns at the moment due to the spread of the Omicron variant in the city. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Musk already annoyed stakeholders uh, when he unloaded around 10% of his uh, stake in Tesla last year. Um, I don't like that word stakeholder. Am I the only one who pictures a, a crowd yelling, kill the vampire, whenever they hear <laughs> someone say it? I don't, anyway, digressing. Um, you know, shareholders often take a dim view of founders taking on these huge outside interests because they fear it might be to the detriment of their own investment in the company that person is mm. supposed to run. Mm. And as I said, Tesla is facing enormous pressure from these external shocks right now. So it will be interesting to see how those stakeholders uh, react to the news over the next few weeks. Probably not yelling, kill vampire. but Kill vampires, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't know. What is it about this that, you know, disturbs you? Well, as I said before, it's yet another, I mean, Twitter's not a media outlet, but it is an information platform and it's yet another information platform that's been bought by some super rich guy. You know, it's mm. like Jeff Bezos and the Washington Post. Um, true, he hasn't interfered as far as we're aware, but is he really the right guardian of of that institution, of its free speech? I mean, look mm -hmm. at how Amazon responds to efforts to unionize its workforce. Yeah. Uh, Tesla has also had its issues with toxic workplace conditions, um, as has Twitter, for, for that matter, in its early years, I should mention. You know, whether it's Bezos or Murdoch and now Musk, there seems to be this idea that when you get super rich, you have to buy a broadcast platform. And this isn't something <laughs> yeah. new. Yeah, yeah. Sorry? No, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And this isn't something new. You know, Henry Ford is just one of numerous examples across history. The problem is, I think for me anyway, that none of these men, and they always seem to be men, seems to be a decent human being. You know, Musk thinks he thinks he's an edgelord, but often he's just a troll. He's one of those Twitter power users who can use his account as a weapon. Mm. It's a bit like watching Back to the Future, but it's Biff Tannant and not Marty McFly that comes out as the winner. I, I just guess I, I don't like it when the bullies win. It's just dispiriting. Well, um, I'm glad you've got it off your chest, Matt, and cheery, you know, obviously. I, I'm just not so sure where we're going to go from there. W well, what are we doing? Um, this, <laughs> no, well, this is, this is sort of a, a, a similar story, but without the misery. Uh, this is something that I didn't have time to fit into our last weird science. And actually, in a way, I'm mm. glad I couldn't. It was the news last month that the US cinema chain AMC had bought a stake in a company that owns gold and silver mines in Nevada. Um, I, I think today seems more weird business than weird science, but 
I guess that's okay. BFM's a business yeah. station. Um, yeah. uh, incidentally, there's there's a longer piece on this AMC story on the Culture Pop Substack, but um, AMC became internet famous for becoming a meme stock alongside companies like GameStop, where a mass of casual investors galvanized by forums like the uh, subreddit Wall Street Bets piled onto various companies and caused their share price, uh, prices to rise, upsetting mm -hmm. institutional investors who were holding short positions on those same companies. So it was part edgelord, well, it's twice in one show, and part, well um, not, not manipulation, thank you, but uh, coordinated movement creating uh, these short-term price gains in the stock market. Um, how was uh, AMC doing at uh, the time? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, it was close to bankruptcy at the start of 2021. So from what I mm -hmm. understand, uh, it was due to a shortage of cash brought on by uh, the theater closures uh, because of the, the pandemic. Um, yeah. Add to that the structural changes that the movie industry has experienced since the rise of streaming media. So uh, in 2021, investors saved it by pumping in around uh, a million, uh, sorry, a billion dollars in cash. And uh, it has since leaned into that meme stock status. At the end of 2021, it announced that it would accept a basket of cryptocurrencies uh, as payment for tickets. But also its CEO has announced that as well as restructuring the company, he would use some of those new cash reserves to invest in other companies that had short-term cash issues, but looked quite healthy for the long term. Mm. So in March, AMC announced it was taking a 22% stake in mining company Highcroft Mining Holding Corporation. And of course, market watchers announced the, the, the movers, you know, insane that AMC <laughs> shouldn't be looking so far from its core business. And that's what the story would have been if we'd talked about it a couple of weeks ago. That, that a move like this is odd and, and possibly a little bit crazy. Yeah, you know, the comments were, and in line with my own thinking, that the company should be using the money to pay down debts, reinvest in the theatres, you know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But the move seems to have turned Highcroft into its own meme stock. At the time we're recording this, I think AMC's stake is up something like $60 million. And that actually brings us back to Elon Musk. Not that he's invested in this as far as I'm aware. You know, I was wrong about AMC, or at least it appears that I was wrong at the way the market's going at the moment. So maybe I'm wrong to be pessimistic about Musk joining Twitter. Maybe it will be the best thing that could happen to the platform. And maybe his intervention will stop Twitter being, you know, the great Pacific garbage patch of the interweb. Oh, um, when we come back, artificial intelligence with an artistic flourish, magnetic slime, and uh, the ghost in the machine. Interesting stuff, all lined up after the break here on Matt Splained on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Bluff Free Medium, BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9, the business station. My name is Rich Bradbury. This is a rather feisty Matt Splained, um, and it is weird science on Matt Splained today. So far, it's been weird, but there hasn't been much science. We've had some business, no more misery. It's time to get our freak on Matt. Yeah, I'm going to be more mellow in this uh, second half. Um, first of all, I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine. I am Ada, the world's first ultra-realistic AI robot artist. I am named after Ada Lovelace. I draw using cameras in my eyes and AI algorithms. And I am a performance artist. As she said, that was Ida, the world's first AI-powered robot artist. And that clip was taken from a TEDx speech that she delivered in Oxford in the UK in 2020. She was uh, created by a gallery owner, Aidan Miller, in association Mm -hmm. with robotics company Engineered Arts, uh, a bunch of AI and uh, psychology boffins at Oxford University, and engineers from the University of Leeds. And rather than just making her, and they are calling the machine her, that's not my slip of the tongue, um, instead of making her just, you know, a series of cameras and robot arms, they decided to make her as human-looking as possible. I mean, she has a torso and a head and a face, and she moves. Mm -hmm. And conversely you know, that actually makes her seem even more inhuman. (laughs) Simple question. Does her work sell? Yeah, I mean, the initial show that they did, it it raised over a million pounds. So it is something that people, yeah, it's something that people are interested in. Uh, One of the things that distinguish Ida from other AI artists is that she's programmed for imperfection. Uh, With Uh the cameras and the processing and the arms, she could effectively be a a printer creating photorealistic drawings. But these flaws allow her work to be unpredictable and different every time and surprisingly Mm -hmm. much more pleasing. Um, The AI has also been uh, evolved. She creates her own poetry. So, you know, this is more than just a, a kind of one-off drawing machine. This is a, a proof of concept for uh, machine-generated art in a much kind of broader sense and a critique on the ethics of the advance of uh, AI. Now, I'm mentioning the story today because Ida will be staging a solo exhibition of her work at the Vienna Biennale titled uh, Leaping into the metaverse from april the 22nd and she has been upgraded for 2022 Uh, and those upgrades include the fact that incredibly she can now paint um i suppose the the kind of bigger question behind all of this then is uh can a machine create art well, that's kind of the point of um, the, the creation of Ida to have those discussions. Um, she's constantly being refined. In her original form, she could hold a pencil and sketch and draw. As I said, now she can paint. And 
with the cameras in her eyes, and because of course the cameras are in her eyes, just to make her even freakier, uh, she can create portraits on the spot. And those portraits will always be different, even if they're of the same subject. So the purpose of IDA is not to prove that, you know, machines have a soul or an essence or whatever mm. it is that you think mm. is the source of artistic talent. Mm. As I said before, it's an ethical project. Uh, if I quote the blurb for the uh, exhibition, uh, Leaping into the Metaverse explores the interface between human experience and AI technology to explore the future of humanity in a world where AI technology continues to encroach on everyday human life. As the co-creator Aidan Meller put it in an interview with the UK's uh, Guardian, uh, paraphrasing, but he said, you know, how comfortable are we entering an age where we can't distinguish between the work of humans and machines, which mm -hmm. hopefully is something we'll come back to in a future episode. But uh, for the next story, you've got a choice, uh, AI oh. or robot. Oh, it feels like choose your own adventure. Uh, <laughs> robot? Good choice. Um, possibly not. Uh, a few months ago, <laughs> no, we had don't a do story. That. Yeah, uh, we had a story about a magnetic corkscrew robot. So I remember, yes. magnets, yeah, uh, the robot can be piloted around the, the body. It's injected into the veins and you can take it through the bloodstream. Uh, this is a similar thing, but way weirder than even that. This is a robot made of magnetic slime uh, in the... Yeah, in the test video I saw, it looks like a slug. Uh, oh. It's described as having a custard-like consistency. None of this is You're good You're not so doing far. it any favours. <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, it was developed by researchers at the Chinese University of uh, Hong Kong. So think twice uh -huh. next time you have a boba tea. Um, they <laughs> created a, a mixture of magnetic deone now, I can't say this word, neodymium particles combined with borax and a, a resin made of polyvinyl alcohol. Um, now, because the magnetic particles are toxic, they've been coated with a silicon compound so that they can be safe to use in the body. And the result is a slime that can be uh, moved by an external magnetic field. Now, I, 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 I do believe I saw a video of this, uh, but... Simple question. Why does such an awful sounding thing exist? What is it for? Well, I don't know how many of the people out there watched, uh, it was a, an 80s horror B-movie called The Stuff, but this oh, I is basically, this, yes. yeah, this is basically the stuff. Um, using that external magnetic field to stimulate and guide it, the slime bot can form around, I'm calling it the slime bot, by the way, I think that's the perfect Of course. Name. But the, the yeah, slime yeah. bot can form around objects and cling to them, um, and it can even repair broken circuits inside machinery. If uh, tests with human tissue go well, it's hoped that it could potentially be used to remove uh, foreign objects from inside the body. So things that might have been swallowed by accident, for example. Uh, I think the example they, they show in the, the video is that uh, uh, they use it to remove a lithium bat uh, battery from a model of a stomach. So that's the kind of thing that a child or a pet might swallow and obviously you want to remove. Uh, they've also used it to grasp um, very fine wires as well as to stretch itself almost like a liquid and maneuver through oh, incredibly God. tight spaces. Yeah. And the 
slime can change its form. It can elongate itself, or as its makers show, roll itself into something uh, resembling an octopus tentacle so that it can carry out tasks. It can even reform itself if the slime is broken or cut into separate pieces. Like I said, it is the stuff. Um, The next step is to make sure that it can be tracked inside the human body so that doctors can be sure that it's retrieving that foreign object and not turning a lung inside out. Um, I, I think that last one was a joke. <laughs> this sounds like a nightmare. It, it literally sounds like, you know, the thing out of aliens as well, the thing that pops out of the stomach. You know, oh, alien rather. Well, it, you anyway. know, you, it's got to come out somewhere. Yes. Okay. I don't know why I chose robot. Okay. Uh, we've had the robot, um, the, the slime bot. Let, please tell me the AI story is less disturbing than that. Uh, much, much better. You should have chosen that one. Um, I should have gone with the other one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is a story about protecting wildlife. Now, camera traps uh, are something that are frequently used in mm. conservation. In fact, my wife mm. helps to set them up in Malaysia for an NGO called MyCat that protects Mm -hmm. tigers and other big cats now one of the drawbacks of these traps is that the data they give you is sometimes quite old because many Mm -hmm. of the cameras are in remote and pretty inaccessible places so the cards can only be picked up and replaced every few months Mm -hmm. and then of course they still have to be analyzed and sorted through so researchers at the university of sterling in scotland have been working with wildlife rangers in gabon to create ai powered camera traps um is there some kind of benefit of having uh you know powerful technology in these remote locations why Well, it depends on what the traps are there to achieve. You know, if you're just logging the animals that come into the field of view and it's not time sensitive, then, you know, no, probably not. But where it is time critical, it could help to rebalance the scales. So the AI can be trained to detect certain species so that when they step in front of the lens, the camera can snap a shot, send a message and send that data to the cloud. For Uh endangered species, like the African forest elephant, which is native to Gabon, knowing the movement of the animals may help to protect them against poachers. The system can even be trained to recognize a human carrying a gun and send out that same kind of alert. So this could give rangers the kind of speed of response to help them stop poachers before they kill uh, any of the animals, all of which could help to protect biodiversity in the region i I was frankly uh frantically uh gmailing googling animals of gabon uh during that uh, little (laughs) talk set there coming across pangolins of course which as we know is one of the biggest uh under threat species on the planet anyway um absolutely so this this could help to to limit um what poachers are able to to do Ah, so when we talk about systems like this, Matt, you know, providing power for them in remote places is often the biggest issue. Uh, Tell me more. Well, for sure. I mean, this isn't actually related to the last story, but it does address what you were saying. So this is about solar panels that can generate electricity at night, which is... Yeah, quite a cool thing to say. So, you know, typically solar panels don't work at night because... You can't call them solar panels then, can you? What what do you call them? Hang on. So (laughs) solar panels essentially work on the principle of heat transfer to create energy. So the panels Uh are cool, so they absorb the heat of the sun. A layer of uh, semiconducting material in 
the layers of the panel, take this energy and convert it uh, from heat energy into electricity. But at night, that process reverses. The mm. panel is generally warmer than the sky above it, so that energy transfer actually flows in the opposite direction. Oh, so this is like a, a night vision solar panel or some trickery to get reflected light from the moon? Yeah, I'm trying to imagine what that would be like, <laughs> like green-coloured electricity maybe, or I don't know, yeah. electricity made of cheese. Um, researchers at Stanford University decided to use the property of the panel at night, um, that fact that it's cooler than the air around it, as another means to generate power. They mm. modified a normal solar cell and they added a thermoelectric generator, which produces current from the difference in temperature of two objects. Now, admittedly, the power that the panels produce at night is very small. Uh, the, in tests, I think it was something like 0.04% of what the um, cell creates in the daylight. But uh -huh. that's actually enough to power an LED light or to recharge a phone mm. uh, further development could increase that power generation and the product itself could easily become a commercial project so it's very simple to implement mm -hmm. uh, there's probably no way to scale it up so that it delivers you know it becomes a kind of large-scale power delivery mechanism mm. but for those off-the-grid locations it could reduce the reliance on uh, stored energy in batteries to use at night because that can be uh, expensive. Batteries are yeah. bigger and expensive, and also they're not always that mm. reliable. They have a finite mm -hmm. lifespan. Um, so it in also ensures, you know, that those cells are doing at least a little bit of something um, during those hours that the sun is absent. Now, um, normally, uh, I'd ask you to do a really weird story to end the show with. Uh, I think we've had some really weird show, uh, stories so far. I'm not sure if I need another one this week. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have another slime bot type story to end with. Um, although eh, maybe this is a bit scary. Who knows? Um, oh. I'm I'm still planning to do that story on the world as a computer simulation once um, some or even one of the experts I've contacted uh, bothers to respond to me but this is a story about an ai that scientists have programmed that will run a simulation of computer code within itself and allow a virtual artificial intelligence to run on so uh, that complicated sentence means that it's an ai that runs a simulated ai within itself got it now yeah, yeah so the normal process of teaching an ai how to do something is to train it. Uh, it can learn to recognize somebody with blue eyes because it's been fed thousands of images of people with different colored eyes. Mm -hmm. So researchers at the University of Pennsylvania wanted to find a simpler approach. They wanted to build a neural network that could effectively run its own virtual computer. They uh, created a really simple neural net and linked uh, multiples of them together so that they could carry out more complex tasks. Uh, and the way that they structured it mimics the logic gates that you find in computer chips. And they then used this environment to, among other things, uh, run the classic arcade game Pong as a simulation within an artificial intelligence. Hang on a minute. So if you then scale it up, you then have the possibility that we are just a simulation inside 
the mind of an AI. Yeah, that's the scary bit. Um, I could just leave it there on that chilling thought, but that would no. probably be, yeah. Um, so the, the purpose behind this, apart from having a very odd gaming machine, this kind of, kind of network could be teamed up with a, a new breed of machines called neuromorphic computers. Mm -hmm. And running the software on virtual neural nets could squeeze even greater performance out of these new machines. Uh, if you are still uh, a bit scared, um, the new scientist quotes a neural net expert, Abdulrahman Zayed from the Montreal Polytechnic, who states that replicating these logic gates two or three times is not the same as emulating a high-performance chip that may have billions of logic gates. So, you know, there's a chance for uh, the skeptics out there that this technology won't scale much beyond Pong. Mm. But doesn't that take your mind off Elon owning Twitter? <laughs> That's, if you, you did that just to distract me at the end with that? That's it? That's the whole thing? I know, bait and switch. Matthew. Matthew. Anyway, uh, folks, you can find Matt on Instagram and Twitter at Culture Matt or subscribe to the Culture Pop newsletter on Substack for more information about these shows. And if you did miss any part of this particular show, you can download the podcast wherever you normally download it from. I recommend the BFM app, which is available in the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.